This is Metal Mike, and in this episode of the 80s Glam Metal Cast, we talk to a drumming icon from Sabbath, Dio, and now Last in Line, Vinny Apice. We talk what's going on with Last in Line, and we hear some cool stories from the past. Now, this was recorded prior to the corona outbreak, so I'd have to assume that some of these shows had to be postponed. Check Last in Line's website for details. Check it out. Vinny, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. Good to be here. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, you got it. So uh, you guys have been out doing shows with Last in Line. How is everything going out there? Uh, everything's going great. We uh, came back about a w- little over a week ago, and uh, we go back out. Uh, when do we go back out? Not this weekend. Two weekends from this weekend. So... We'll be back on the uh, East Coast in uh, Virginia, and uh, uh, we've got to see where Pennsylvania, a bunch of East Coast dates. Uh, March 20th, Hopewell, Virginia. The next day, 21st, Glen Burnie, Maryland. And the last show on that weekend is Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. So you can check them out on the website, too. There'll be tickets and VIPs. Uh, you can come meet the band, take pictures, and check out the sound check and stuff. It's really cool. That sounds awesome. So uh, speaking of these shows, how's the set list shake out for somebody who goes? Is it about half and half, half DL, half last in line? Yeah, it's a, right now it's about half and half. We play all the classic big uh, DL numbers, and uh, and then the other half is split between we have two albums out and we split the songs up between those albums so it's a really good set high energy the band's extremely tight and uh, it's a lot of fun we have a lot of fun playing together one thing that really blows me away about last in line i mean hey you guys are all good obviously but andrew is an uh, amazing singer amazing oh yeah he's just uh yeah when people hear andrew they go oh my god where did he come from you know He's, uh, like you said, an amazing singer, and he sings uh, with a lot of passion. He sings from his heart. And even the old Dio stuff, he just uh, kills it, you know, and people are blown away. And on the record, he sings great, too. And he's just an amazing singer, and uh, we're so happy to be playing together. I like his voice because it's, it's very original, and I like that it doesn't sound anything like Ronnie's. I think that what a lot of people do, they'll try to find a clone singer, you know what I mean, sometimes, to try to emulate somebody yeah. else, and I like that it's nothing like that at all. Yeah, it's not like that at all. He, he just sings it the way he sings it, and he, like I said, he's got the passion and the, and the power uh, to sing it the way uh, it sounds like Andy, but yet it sounds... Great. A little similar to Ronnie on some of them, which is hard to do. But that's because of the type of song. But uh, he just does it justice, you know. When we put the band together, we had a lot of people sending emails and messages like, hey, I sing just like Ronnie and, <laughs> and this and that and this and that. But we didn't really want that because then we're trying to imitate Ronnie. And we just, uh, actually, we were just starting this whole thing out for, for fun, just jamming. And Andy came down, I invited him down, and he sang some of the Dio stuff, and it sounded so great that we decided, let's do some gigs, and the gigs lent, led up to uh, eventually a record deal, uh, and then two albums, so it all just happened naturally, which is a good way for the band to come together. So, But we didn't uh, definitely didn't want 
The Ronnie clone. You can't clone Ronnie. No. That's for sure. No. And uh, this last in line, too, you know, it's a very unique sound. I think you've got, you guys really mastered having the classic sound, and then you've got some modern sound. Would you agree with that? Uh, yes, yes. We got, uh, you know, the classic sound. Well, the classic sound was from, uh, yeah, the classic sounds like from me and Viv, the way we played uh, together, you know, we think the same, and we got the same feel. Even though we're not from the same place in the world, he's right. all the way from Ireland, and I'm from Brooklyn, New York, <laughs> two opposites, but yet we gel together so tight, and it just fits so well together, and when Jimmy Bain was alive and playing with us, it was the same thing, you know, from all different parts of the world, but it just sounded great together, so that's the influence of the old school, and then the, the new school is just trying to to think, uh, you know, the way everybody thinks now is a little bit more modern, everybody in the band. So we got both uh, schools covered, you know. I guess we're in college now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you kind of approach it in a sense where, like, if, if you were heading, if, if you were back together with Dio and making new music, is this kind of what, what you're kind of shooting for, what your mindset is? Um, well, you know what, with... with all the bands that I've been in, including Dio, Black Sabbath, all the albums they did with Sabbath, all the albums with Dio, all the bands uh, that were, well, I shouldn't say all the bands, but these bands, Sabbath, Dio, and Last of Mine, we just get together and jam on a lot of things and listen to them, and we pick what we like and build upon it. So it's like kind of like whatever comes out, that's it. We don't sit there and try to sound like anything we don't try to write a song like uh, some something else, you know. It's just whatever comes out, and then we tailor it to just making it as good as we can and exciting and uh, and putting a lot of, especially me, putting a lot of uh, my style into it, you know. So it just happens that way naturally. For all the years that you didn't play with Vivian, did you ever think you guys would play again? No, actually back back a long time ago uh no I, I thought well you know he's gone his way he's playing with leopard and uh i'm doing other things you know and i never thought we would really hook up again so it was a great surprise to get a call from viv saying you know he's with jimmy and they're thinking of having a jam and i said sure that would be great so it's a fantastic thing and I'm so glad to hook up with him musically and personally because he's such a, a great guy and, uh, you know, known for a long time, love him to death. So it's just great to hang out with Viv, too, and, and, and be friends again. That's really important. He's got to be getting pretty pumped for this big tour that he's got coming up this summer, right? Oh, yeah, I would imagine so. That's like the monster tour of the century almost. <laughs> so. <laughs> Unfortunately, unfortunately, it gets in the way of us playing. Right. But uh, it, you know, it's 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 something that's huge, and and in the long run, it helps us too because it keeps Viv uh, out there, and it keeps us our name associated with it in some way, shape, or form. So, oh, for sure. a little way, shape, or form. But it's all good, man. That's a great tour, and they were a great band, Def Leppard. You think rock and metal will ever have a resurgence again to like the level of the 80s? What do you think? 
Well, the 80s were the 80s. I mean, everything was big. The whole economy was different. The record companies had a lot of money. There were big deals everywhere, merchandise deals, publishing deals. That's probably not going to happen again in rock, but rock is not dead. It's still alive. I mean, Def Leppard and Motley Crue are doing the biggest tour out there, pretty much. And uh, you can't say rock is dead when that's that's happening, you know. Definitely. And uh, it's just that the business side of it changed as far as records a lot. You know, people downloading, people not buying the records as they used to, and that affects the whole thing. So one thing leads to another, and then you got all these radio stations playing classic rock that don't, it doesn't push new music. It just stays in a stagnant time of here's the same old stuff, Yeah. you know, that we're playing. Instead of years ago, when a band came out, like Dio came out, they started playing Rainbow in the Dark. I used to drive around L.A. and I'd hear us on the radio and how cool is that? Or, um, you know, Motley Crue put a new album out. You heard it. They played the stuff. And it was great. And they played old stuff, too. But you're able to hear all this new music and go out and buy it. Now they play the same old crap. You know, it's not crap, but it's after a while. How many times can you hear the same song? You know, um, it's it's just, so that doesn't help the music business. They complain that record sales aren't what they used to be. Well, why don't you guys play some new music? You know, what do you expect? You're playing the same old crap, and there's certain stations around the country that do play some new new music, and God bless them. You know, it's a business. It's a business. So. Um, that and people were downloading music and not buying it. I mean, it's great. You got a great music collection, but it doesn't support the band. It makes it hard for bands to survive. So it's kind of business atmosphere is kind of whacked out, you know? Yeah. Do you think some ways, though, at least from the album approach, even though the album isn't going to sell like it did back in the day, don't you feel like you have like a little bit more creative control than you would have? Because you figure in the 80s and the 90s when uh, big companies are financing these things, they kind of want a certain product. They, they're kind of forcing you sometimes to create a certain product where now you can kind of make the kind of album you want to. Um, I mean, is that improved, you think, over time now? No, that's not always true because if you get with a pretty good label these days, you know, they're looking for something from the band that they think should happen, you know. Okay. We were Frontiers, they were looking for more, they like 80s stuff, you okay. know. Sure. And right. we weren't really 80s, we weren't really 80s, but we had a touch of it, you know, and we were who we were from the 80s. But there's bands, you know, especially new bands, that go, wow, we were, we're looking for this, you know, we're looking for that. So it's still there, you know. It's just that uh, the, some of the deal record labels are small and the deals are smaller where, they just want to get a record out, you know, so. But I was never in that situation because with Sabbath and Dio back in the 80s, nobody told them what to do, you know. Black Sabbath was Black Sabbath. And right, right. Ronnie and Dio was Dio. You don't tell them, well, we're looking for a popcorn song, you know, song <laughs> for uh, really poppy people who dance to. <laughs> it just doesn't work like that, you know. So, speaking of Black Sabbath, I mean, all these years later, is, is it surreal to this day to think you were a member of Black Sabbath? Yeah, it's a great thing. Now, when, uh, if I reflect back on it, it's like, uh, wow, that was great. I got to play with the legendary band. One, not one of the legendary bands, but the legendary band right. that started all this, all this stuff. <clears throat> and 
while it was happening back in the 80s, it was like I always approached everything as I'm a musician in the band and I'm going to do a job. You know, I didn't get caught up in the, you know, the whole rock star thing. <clears throat> I got caught up in it more of as a, as a musician and, and trying to make it great and trying to play great and big part of the band. So, uh, now when I reflect back, I went, wow, I got to play with these guys and know them and we were, we were quite close. And it's pretty cool, you know, that's, uh, you know, to this day, it still supports my career. I go out, uh, like, I'm supposed to go to Europe in April and do, I did this before, I, do, I get a band in in uh, Europe, and we do all old Sabbath stuff, and not old Sabbath stuff, but the stuff I'm on, Right. play all that, and some old Sabbath tunes, a sprinkle of Dio, and I've done three tours already there, and it goes over so well, same in South America. And because they just love Sabbath and they love Dio, they love Ronnie. So, and I'm able to be part of that music and still go out and play it because I'm the only one left, really. Right. You know, playing any of that stuff. There's nobody. You know, Sabbath are not going out. Ozzy's not going out. Uh, and I played on a lot of those albums. And not I didn't play on the old stuff, but I played it enough where it's in my blood. You know. Oh yeah. So. It's a fantastic thing. So I was really, uh, really appreciate having that opportunity to play with such a great band, legendary band, and people, and musicians. You know, for, for Sabbath, I'm a big fan. <clears throat> excuse me, of uh, Dehumanizer. I think that's like a perfect album. What, what do you think about it? I love that album. That album kicks total. F- I don't know if I can say fuck. Yeah, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> it kicks fucking ass. That album. <laughs> it does. It fucking kicks. Yeah, and that was an album, unfortunately, that came out at a time when grunge became big, so it didn't get the uh, focus and excitement that it should have. But it's still kind of a cult album, and uh, I get that all, you know, people come up all the time and they have the album, I'll sign it. They love the album. It's just a killer album. It's Sabbath that it's one of its heaviest points, you know. It's really good. And I think that's And what the fans- drums are really mixed drums are really mixed loud on that album too yeah they because really of some are. balls yeah i mean the drumming is amazing the riffs the vocals the melodies um and i think those I mean, are those are the albums that fans will gravitate to you know something like dehumanizer something like by judas priest painkiller they love when the band just yeah. goes full-on you know heavy they love it yeah yeah and that's that's uh that's that's what that album's about, you know. From people who haven't heard it that are listening, check it out. I think you might like it if you're a Sabbath fan, you know. It's great stuff. Why did that all fall apart um, with with Sabbath at that po- at that point? Well, it fell apart the first time mainly from business decisions, you know, not involving me because I'm I'm the dude that came in last and uh, going for the ride. Uh, so that broke it up in the eighty in the eighties, and then we got back together around the humanizer. And the thing that broke that uh, version up is because Ozzy was doing two gigs down in California, two big uh, outdoor shows, and Sabbath wanted to open for Ozzy, go on before Ozzy, and Ronnie did not want to do it. Hmm. So. That's what broke the band up. I was in the middle, you know, talked to 
Tony Giza and I had to talk to Ronnie and sort it out. So I did the gig and we got Rob Halford to sing. Yep. You know, which was which was great. You know, get somebody like that to fill in is is amazing. So that broke the band up. Ronnie was pissed off that they wanted to do it and he didn't want to do it. So that's that's what broke that band up. So for, you know, that was the second version. The third version was Heaven and Hell. Right. And unfortunately, that was going great. Everybody was getting along. Uh, Ronnie got shit. Mm. So that broke, that broke it, but it just, at the end, it didn't happen, you know. So, it's just, uh, unfortunately, because we were doing really good and everybody was getting along and stuff, but, uh, so, but luckily we made some great music along the way and it's still out there and it's still selling and people are still listening to it, so. So of course we got to talk about Dio. I mean, you played on the most iconic albums, uh, I think, that of of Dio. Uh, you have a favorite out of the ones you played on? Um, with Dio, I'd say Holy Diver, of course. Right. Uh, that that's just uh, an incredible album, and we were just having a good time making it. We never thought of anything that it would become a legendary album. We just were having a great time with the new band and we were all young and just goofing off and stuff. So then the album came out and it did so well. And 30, 40 years later, it's still selling. It's still being played and it became, you know, uh, an inspiration for a lot of famous bands. You know, I know Dave Grohl, uh, mentioned how it affected him and, uh, Taylor Hawkins loves the drums on it. and So it's pretty amazing because we didn't know. We were just having a good time making a, a great record with Ronnie. And uh, here we are, you know, the album became a classic album. So uh, pretty good album. I, you know, I listened to it pretty good, pretty damn good, I guess. Oh, damn. No doubt, man. It's a it's a classic. It's a, it's a legendary album. I talked with one of your bandmates uh, before on the podcast, Tracy G., and him and I really love Strange Highways. What do you think of Strange Highways? I haven't heard it in a long time, but uh, uh, it's a lot heavier, and it's a different type of album. So I haven't heard it in a while. I know it was a good album, but... Uh, I think it was a little too heavy for some of the Dio fans. Probably. You know, because Tracy's a very heavy guitar player. I love the way he plays, and uh, that album was pretty, pretty spooky. Yeah, and I think, once again, it almost it's right off the, the cusp of uh, Dehumanizer, and I really think Ronnie was, was really aggressive, you know, at that point, musically, where Dehumanizer, there was a lot of attack and power in his voice, and you could hear that kind of come on to um, Strange Highways. I really love how, you know, you know, just fierce his voices on those albums. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, Ronnie, you know, he's saying his ass off, you know. He get, he get also, you know, the humanizer is probably, probably taking his frustration out and anger on that record when he's singing it, you know, because uh, we did that album in, in Wales, in the UK, and we had, uh, Ronnie and I had to live there for a lot, a lot of times. We'd go there and stay there for four weeks, rehearse, come back, go back again, stay another four weeks, and there was nothing to do. There was no internet back then. And Ronnie and I lived in the house, and we rehearsed there, and Tony and Giza would go home So yeah, after each rehearsal. So it was a lot of frustration with, you know, not being home, and there's nothing to do. And and uh, it was great when we rehearsed and record, but, you know, then when we finished, it was, 
again, nothing to do. There was only four TV stations, and they all went off at 11.30, 12 o'clock. So, yeah, I remember we smoked a lot of hash, and we ate a lot of Indian food. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing Tracy did, man, he spoke really highly of you, and he thinks, like, when, when you're not in Dio, it's not Dio, because he feels like it's you put that vibe that just makes it sound like Dio. Yeah, it could be, you know. Um, I, I mean, I, I approach drums, I just hear it differently than most drummers. I don't play up, I don't play on top of songs. I play in the song. I be, more try to become part of the song, pick up on different things in the song, and maybe exaggerate them a little bit, play fills where no fills are played. You know, like where no man has gone before, I would put a fill. You know, that's just the way I play and I feel, so... And uh, and it worked with Ronnie. Ronnie once never told me ever to not play over his vocal line. So if you listen to Holy Diver, you hear Ronnie singing, and there's some crazy fill behind him, and it just all works, you know. So we had a good uh, mix between us. And, uh, you know, being that we started the band together and uh, the first couple albums, that's all me, that, that, that became the D.O. sound. And then when you start changing members, so did Viv. You know, Viv had his sound and right. Jimmy too. So then when you get a whole new band, it's going to sound different. You know, the voice is going to sound the same, but it's going to change because different musicians, you know. There's a magic about certain people together, like Zeppelin and, you know, Van Halen. You know, it all worked. And you change, you change things around, things sound different. Musicians around. One thing that I like that you do is, you know, you can talk about drummers that just throw a bunch of crap in there that really doesn't fit. You may do fills and things, but it, I feel like it goes perfectly with the music. You you like to, when you do things, you like to follow the riffs and stuff. And I think that's important where I, I don't like just nonsense fills, you know, that make no sense. No, you're absolutely right. There's there's stock fills and, you know, drumming, you know, and and. A lot of people, drummers, could approach it as, well, I'm doing the first, now we're going into the chorus, so I'll do a, uh, a double 16th note roll, boom, into the chorus, and it's kind of stocky, you know? Uh, I don't approach it that way. I, I either do something simple or I'll come up and write a riff for that, come up with a different fill that's more interesting, you know? So um, it's because I feel it, I hear it. I know what I want to hear. There's a lot of times uh, I'm recording right now for a project, and there's a lot of times I know what I want it to sound like, and I play it, and it's not quite there. I try it again, and I keep trying it and keep re-recording the part. Sometimes I'll spend 45 minutes on one fill because this is in my house, and I'm the engineer, so I can do this. I didn't do this back in the day with Dio because we were a band and we rehearsed this is a session but I'll hear it until and I'll get it keep recording it till I get it right what I want to hear you know mm -hmm. and I can't even tell you the riff it's just something that I want to hear from the fill so so that's the way I, I kind of approach these things so it's luckily Ronnie never told me don't play there you know right. don't play over my vocal line because then I would have been a, a different I would approach it differently, but he never said that, and Sabbath never said it either. Nice. You know, I played all over the place, but it was cool with everybody. So who are some of your influences uh, in drumming? 
Um, my influences were, uh, well, my brother Carmine and, and Mitch Mitchell. I love Bill Ward, uh, Bonham, of course, and Buddy Rich, Billy Cobham, guys like that. And all those guys, what they have in common is nobody played it safe. Nobody played to and for for the song and the verse and then did the stock fill into the next part. These guys all did licks that a young drummer could listen to the album and go, wow, I want to learn that lick he just played. And that was my approach, too, to put some cool drumming on these albums I make so when drummers listen to it, listening to it, they it jumps out at them and go, wow, what was that? and then try to learn that lick, you know? And that's the way people learn, and I learned, you know, listening to that kind of stuff. And then I love Ringo, too. Now, I, I back in the day, you know, I didn't, I thought Ringo was good, but now you listen to Ringo parts, you go, they're so musical. He stops and starts, played on the tom, played on the hi-hat. You listen to that stuff, you go, why did he just play the, just that one part's just on the hi-hat, that's weird. And it comes in, that's really creative, you know. It's not technically uh, amazing, but it's totally creative, which is even more important, you know. Yeah, I'm Musical. glad you said that. I, I love Ringo. I, when you listen to especially the uh, the later period of Beatles, I don't think there's a drum piece that's out of place or anything. You know, just everything is just no. fits perfect to the music. That's right. I always wondered if it was all Ringo thinking up those parts, or was it John and Paul and George once in a while telling Ringo or or giving him an idea? But it's amazing stuff, you know, because anybody could play two and four through a song. Right. That's easy, and uh, but to to cut up the parts like that, you know, it's amazing. One thing the Beatles did too, if you notice, is. They mixed the drums up in certain parts yeah. of the same song. Then it came back down when the vocals came in. They actually mixed the drums. Where nobody does that these days. When you get a mix on the drums, the drums are usually the same level. Nobody messes with the shaders on the on the modern recordings. They just add stuff, you know. So yeah. that was amazing stuff. Well, you know what it comes down to, too, is, like you said, when, when you got the original version of Dio got together, it was just magical and everything fit, and you didn't have to tell anybody what to do. And I'm thinking the Beatles being probably the most iconic band ever, probably just, it just fit, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That, well, you know, they had, who could write them any songs? <laughs> you know, hit after hit after hit. And they're all things you remember, and they're great melodies and riffs, and it's just incredible. I love the Beatles. Yeah, amazing stuff. Yeah, me too. Um, what else do you have going on this year besides the Last in Line shows? You got any other projects that you're working on? Well, actually, right now we I did an album with uh, Craig Goldie and uh, Sean McNabb and Chaz West called Resurrection Kings, Resurrection Kings, and that was for Frontiers Records. So. That album came out about three or four years ago. It's a good album. Mm -hmm. So I'm, re I'm recording some drums for some songs for the next album. Oh, cool. And that's going to be on Frontier Records. That's going on. And then uh, I do a lot of rock camps with um, different artists. And last one I did was with Cheap Trick. And then I'm going to Europe. Uh, actually, I'm going to Cincinnati on the uh, 5th, 14th. 
and I'm playing at a place called the Blue Note, Harrison, Ohio, and that's what a band I have there that we do uh, the same thing on the uh, night of Sabbath music. And that's the third time I'll be in Cincinnati, and that goes over really well. People love it, you know. So got a lot of things going on. And then I do shows with my brother Carmine called Drum Wars, and we just did four shows on the East Coast, and we got some more uh, working on in the summer. So keep busy. Nice. Sounds like you're going to be busy. Anything you want to say in closing to all the fans that have been following you all these years? All the fans, I'd like to say thank you for listening to the music that I played on and was part of. And uh, there's some great fans out there, and they continue to come to the shows and come see me with Last in Line and all these other projects. And it's really great that they're just fantastic, and I'd like to say thank you for listening and supporting this because uh, and supporting the, the music for all the different bands because we all need to support now because the music business has changed somewhat and now it's all live gigs you know so and it's great to play for everybody so and then i had a long career i really appreciate that so i'm still going i'm not finished yet nice well Vinny, man great conversation thanks so much for your time have a great night all right mike take care thanks for having me and uh take care and bye bye to all the fans and see you on the road that was a great episode with Vinny. We got lots more on the way, so you know what you need to do? Hit subscribe. Rock on!